Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Right among other things, we'll find out about the offensive linesman. And I'm sorry, but I can't believe the call. Me neither. I cannot believe the call. Touchdown! From the opening whistle of the American Football League season, overflow crowds have swelled Shea Stadium, wanting to see the man they've heard so much about, Joel Namath. Hello, and welcome to episode VI of any given Wednesday. <laughs> the NFL podcast for fans of all shapes and sizes from all sides of the pond. This is the podcast that still struggles to tell a nickel formation from a dime. You can't help but get a bit concerned when the commentator starts talking about a shotgun. I'll never, I, I will ask you about those things, Bubbins, because mm. I still get very mm. confused about those. Very simple. Um, yeah, there you go. This week, we're going to be looking at one of the first true superstars of the game, the man who brought the show business into gridiron football, it's the New York Jets' very own Broadway Joe Namath. Oh, I'm rookie fan Tom Parry. Joining me is the veteran who is no stranger to the playboy lifestyle of show business. <laughs> Although he's less Broadway Joe and more St. Mary Street Mike, it's Mr. <laughs> Mike Bubbins. Your intros get better and better. I'm having that one. That's going on the flyers. How you doing, Bubbins? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Although I think I mentioned before I used to live in a place called Bradley Street in Cardiff which is one of the roads off Broadway in Cardiff. There's a Broadway in Cardiff, which is very dissimilar to the one in New York. So no, I, I, I lived yeah. in my university days just off Broadway. So what can, what can you expect from Broadway in Cardiff then? If, uh, uh, if quite a lot of violence on a Saturday night. <laughs> okay. uh, there is a motorbike place that we suspect when it sells you a second-hand bike keeps a set of keys because they nick your bike a few weeks later yeah right okay there's okay. a couple of dodgy pubs there is a very curiously placed conservative club uh well a couple of takeaways there was a there was a fish and chip shop there back in the day where the woman smelled so badly of body odor that i, I never went in there before 2 a.m you just couldn't face it before that time of day <laughs> That's on the TripAdvisor review, is it? Yeah, and there was a pub on my street called The Canadian, which was quite weird because I had two Canadian boys living in the house and we said that was our local. There you go. Also yes. one of the oldest boxing gyms in Cardiff. Cardiff have a very big boxing hub, Tom, because of all the, a lot of Irish immigrants and a lot of uh, people who are obviously proud tradition of Wales and boxing. So there was a boxing yeah. gym at the Royal Oak pub. Yeah, so basically boxing, thieving, drinking, scrapping, on broad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. We're going to be talking about a Broadway of a very different kind. I've got a feeling this is going to be a good episode for you. You, I mean, like we'll get on to Joe Namath uh, shortly, but you know the style, the ear, the lifestyle. It's Mate, all, oh it's all right in your, right in your wheelhouse, isn't it? This Bubbins. If there was a Venn diagram of all the things I like, and you looked at it on the paper there would just be the one circle where they've all overlapped completely. <laughs> all right, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You're joining us from Bubbins Bar, as always, your Green Bay Packers NFL-themed bar full of um, memorabilia. Yeah. Uh, what what memorabilia are you bringing to the table this week? 
Well, today, Tom, I've chosen, I've already chosen a football. I chose the football that was given to me very kindly by a, a listener to another podcast I do, a Dick Butkus signed football. Yeah. But prior to place uh, in the corner of my bar, there's a little sort of um, almost like a, if it was, if I was a Catholic, it'd be a niche. There's a, there's an area in the, in the bar where I keep the precious things. <laughs> and it's my first football. So it's a Wilson Duke uh, leather football, long since deflated, long since the valve's been long since ruined, like it won't stay inflated. Deflate. But that is there. I bought that while I was, oh God, I must have been 15. So that's 1987 I bought that football. In the UK, did you buy it? In the UK, yeah. And you used to do it by mail order in those days because I tried to get an American football team started in the 80s. Did you? Yeah. We were called the Barry Saints. I like that name because Barry's named after. Uh, the town of Barry is basically three parishes. They're all named after saints. So I thought Barry Saints is a good name. So I don't, I don't like names that are there for no reason. So I picked Barry Saints. And the problem with the Barry Saints was only one fellow had a football, my friend Nicky. <laughs> yeah. Who lived in Roos, which is just outside Barry. So we had our first training session planned for Porth Kerry Park in Barry. And then Nicky at the last moment said he, was, he wasn't going to come. I said, well, can we at least t- take your football? And he said, no. <laughs> so we had to call the session off. And I was... He's not my best friend. He was best man at my wedding, but I didn't speak to Nicky for over a year because of the ball. Because he he yeah. he literally uh, wouldn't let us play with his ball. So I, I ordered a ball on. Uh, I think it was it was called Gridiron Sports. I think they were called. And how many how many players did you have interested in playing for the Barry Saints? Did you have enough to put a teammate? Yeah, we had about 15, 16 boys, which was enough, you know. One of the difficult things about it, about people, I think, falling in love with the game. Mm. is if you're watching on the telly and you love the game and you think, oh, my God, this looks amazing. It's not the sort of game you can just quite easily go down the park with your mates and just have have a go at. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They, I mean, in the you, 80s, that you could. If you're, if you're old enough, if you're, if you're an adult in the 80s, then suddenly after Channel 4 went massive, there became, there were hundreds of teams in the UK. I mean, there were four teams in Cardiff. There were four adult teams. You know, in one not particularly big city, there were so there were loads and loads of teams, but yeah, junior football that it didn't really exist. I ended up playing for a team called um, the Cardiff Mariners junior football team, and they were sort of attached to the Cardiff Tigers adult team. That, but that was the year later with Nicky, who kept his bloody ball at home um, with him. <laughs> you got to let that go, Mike. So I bought, yeah. So I went on Gridiron Sports, and I, I think I think I paid. It was forty pounds plus postage. God, so it was, it was about a lot, 50 a lot of money in those days, Mike. Well, yeah, 87, that's 50 quid. I mean, I, my pocket money was, it went up in 87. There was a, from two pounds a week, which was frankly pointless, to a fiver a week. But there were this various incentives tied into that. It was, yeah. you know, it wasn't guaranteed money, as I say, in the NFL. I had to do the dishes and to do stuff like that. It wasn't. Yeah. It was two pound guaranteed, but there was five pound with incentives. The system in our house was: if you were twelve, you got two quid; thirteen, three quid; fourteen, four quid. It's a four you must quid be, when you're. You 14 must be on loads now, then. <laughs> yeah, I'm raking it in, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing the long game. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> it's not quite. You can't quite jumpers for goalposts. No, you, you can't. That's what I mean. It's like the the organisation you'd need to actually get the sense of a game down the park. It's not straightforward enough to do that. Yeah, you can do a bit of like touch football or yeah. or flag football with it. I suppose you get ten of you can make it work, but yeah, it's not. There's a lot more involved in that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the football was brilliant, mate. So I, the football turned up. I was I was king of the castle, mate. I had a Wilson Duke, which was the top of. You could buy various different Wilson footballs, but the Duke was the was the NFL one signed by Pete Rizal, the commissioner. Yeah, there you go. And that, yes, that was a lot of money. So that was you know you're talking ten weeks pocket money. You're talking two and a half months worth of doing the dishes to buy a football <laughs> but I've still got it it's here still got it so yeah it's just it's like a limp I've got a, basically a flaccid football on the you shelf yeah, yeah. <laughs> happens with age Mike it happens with age you know <laughs> beautiful well that's a, I like that one that's our most personal bit of memorabilia yet I yeah. like that one before we get into the subject of this week's podcast let's look at some of the correspondence that we've received from you please get in touch if you're enjoying the podcast we're on Twitter at any given wed pod so yeah get in touch or leave a review anywhere you get your podcasts from so uh, Gaza got in touch he left us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts five stars don't mind that don't yeah. mind a five star review we, we only want those reviews by the way yeah absolutely get in touch leave a five star review it's all good stuff and um, Gaza told us that he supports the Eagles for the sole reason that he's a big fan of the sitcom it's only sunny in Philadelphia 
Mm. So there you go. That's, Which that's I've what, never seen. I highly recommend it. I mean, okay. I, I, th- I can understand that as well because there's something... I went to when Philadelphia, the, when the Eagles were at Wembley uh, a few years ago, I went to that game. And there's something about people from Philadelphia, isn't there? There's yeah, like a, yeah. there's, there is a real character to that city. There's a real personality to their fans. It's a decent, it's a decent choice, I think. Yeah, the, real blue collar team. Yeah. Quite famously, they will they would boo Father Christmas. You know, they they will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a very tough. They're a very hard to please set of fans. They also I don't know if you know this, Tom. A little bit of trivia for you. I know I you're know. A, you're a rookie fan. During the war, when Football over here stopped for a, and cricket stopped and, and rugby stopped. In the States, they kept going with football and baseball and everything else. But obviously, boys were off to fight, so they were struggling for numbers of healthy young men to play. Philadelphia joined forces with Pittsburgh and put a combined team out for the duration of the war called the Philadelphia Pittsburgh Steelers Eagles, which became. No way! Yeah, became short of the Phil Pitt Steagles. That's great. The Phil Pitt Steagles. Yeah. And bear in mind, they can't stand each other, those two teams, because they're both Pennsylvania. There's a real live rivalry. It'll be, it'll be like, you know, as a one-off, just for the war, Manchester United will play with Liverpool and call themselves the Liverchester. Do they have a half-and-half half jersey? Oh, I wish they had. Um, mm. Who else has got in touch? Gareth Edwards got in touch on Twitter. At Gareth Edwards said, Loving the pod. Got to ask, what's the source of Mike's Ravens dislike? As a very recent convert, I was mm. recommended them as a team to follow by a mate. And I feel like I've been stitched up. <laughs> don't, 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 you don't have to take Bubbin's word for it straight off. You do. Off. You like, do. Like if he changes teams, I'll be over the moon. Okay, we'll make your case. What's wrong with it? I mean, I've got, I've, got, I've got a soft spot for the Ravens. Like the same reason that you've just described about the Philadelphia Eagles, kind of blue-collar town, kind of working class yeah. supporters. Surely that's got, well, that's what the Ravens have got going on. Yeah, well, there's that. But, I mean, they're, they're also, through no fault of, of the city's own, obviously they lost the Colts back in the 80s, and they were without a team for a long time. And then the NFL, rather than give Baltimore a new team, gave them the Cleveland Browns. So they, they took the, the Browns out of there and put them in. Uh, so I felt really bad for Cleveland for a start, right? I right. know they'd already lost their team. but And a lot of Baltimore fans felt really bad for Cleveland fans as well. It was a real two-edged sword. Yeah. So there's that. There's the fact they sort of nicked Cleveland's team. I didn't like that. I don't like the name Ravens. I don't, I don't see why they're called the Ravens. I like, I like team names to mean something. I like there to be something to do with it. <laughs> if there's a reason they're called the Ravens other than markets and let me know. That's a flimsy reason. <laughs> Oh, it's not me, is it? It's like the it's like the frigging Carolina Panthers. What do you call that for? I like teams to mean something. The, new, the Green Bay Packers mean something. The Barry Saints means Barry something. Saints means something. Names should mean something, right? <laughs> so they got like an invented name. Yeah, okay. And then the person that they idolise, the the person who's the statue outside their stadium, is a fellow that I have no time for, called Ray Lewis. Oh yes, okay. I'm not going to go into depth on a, on a on a family podcast, but if you Google Ray Lewis, yeah, there might be a couple of hits on there. You'll find, <laughs> yeah, several would include a murder. Okay. Um. So yeah, I don't think. Don't get me wrong. A fabulous player. I would be terrified playing against him if I was a quarterback. He is a cheap shot artist, and he always was. Some of the headshots he went for, some of the especially on the defensive receivers and stuff. I'm not saying he, he's not an extremely tough man, Ray Lewis. He is right. Yeah, I just don't. I don't like Ray Lewis. I don't like Ray Lewis. I don't like nicking teams. I don't like made-up names. There you go. And they all, they all coalesce in Baltimore for me. Three reasons. Um, if Ray Lewis is listening, get in I touch. Think, I think you're a great player, and I live in Tom's house. If Ray Lewis is listening, get in touch. Leave a five-star review. This no. is a good one. This this one comes from the states. This is from at Gunner Lee. Lee Bellinger got in touch and said, "My Packers connection." Is yes. my mother and uncle grew up with Lynn Dickey. Yeah, this is brilliant. I saw this in the week. Go in on. In Kansas. Osawatomi, Kansas. My uncle was super tight with him playing high school football. So growing yes. up, I got signed footballs from both the Oilers and the Packers. Oh, wicked. That's no, that, huge. That's a reason. And Lynn Dickey was when I first started watching the Packers. Who's Lynn Dickey? Well, Lynn Dickey was the quarterback of the Packers in the 80s. Had a very famous, at the time, tandem with a bloke called James Lofton, who was a receiver. And they weren't a very good team in the, in the, in the early and mid-80s. Well, all through the 80s. But that partnership between Lynn Dickey and James Lofton was, was a thing of beauty.
let's get into today's subject of Joe Namath, one of the great names of American football. I should just preface this by saying all the sources that we look at are available on YouTube. We'll stick some yeah. links in with this podcast, but check out America's Game, the 1968 New York Jets. Check out A Football Life, Joe Namath. These are all NFL documentaries that you can get online and um, oh, well worth a watch. Also, mate, if you get a chance, it's only like four or five minutes long, but look at the little clip that's also online of when he was basically voted the NFL's all-time greatest character. Oh, yes, that's a great award to get. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great award you to get. He's a real character. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's really good. That's, that's, better than, that's better than player any day of the week. I mean, that's what we're talking about with Broadway, Joe Namath. I mean, like, a great player, absolutely. But more than anything, you're looking at the the personality, the star, the celebrity. He was like the birth of kind of your modern day sports superstar. Sometimes it's just serendipity. When things converge, colour TV came into being in America, sort of late 60s, Monday Night Football came into being, and they wanted to make the game more appeal to people who weren't just football fans. And then suddenly along comes this really good looking, really flamboyant, you know, handsome bloke in a white floor length fur coat and shades. Even, I was like, oh, yes, please. Even more than the colour TV and the football, like in the documentary I watched, his best mate said. And then there was the pill. There was the sexual revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Women had changed their behaviour. And in the middle of all that was Joe Namath. <laughs> oh, my oh God. come on. Single-handedly puts him at the middle of a sexual revolution. It's I watched that and I'm almost incredible. in tears. I'm almost in tears at the same time thinking, those days I came back. Oh, no. Because uh, imagine being him then. I was looking at this uh, kind of wild rug you've got. What's that made of? Well, this is a llama skin rug. Uh, it has its uh, good features to it. I mean, you can lay around and relax a while, but uh also has its bad features. The cleaning gets dirty, and it's pretty rough to keep clean. Yeah. Well, I was looking at your couch, too. I don't suppose by chance that's a pigskin couch. No, it's not quite pigskin. It's a suede couch, and uh, that's another problem we have. It's uh, a little difficult to keep clean, especially with the kind of parties we have here now and then. Yeah. Joe, you're a, you're a college boy that came to the big city to get himself a, a swinging pad. I checked the bedroom a little while ago, and we can't get our cameras in there, mostly because of the fact you seem to have a wall-to-wall -wall bed, but I'm sure people are, are interested in that. Could you describe it for us? A lot of folks, I know, like to sleep a lot. Yeah. And uh, that's about all I do in there is go to sleep a lot. And it's a nice size oval bed, and uh, the decorations are very nice. We have gold wallpaper and gold carpeting, and uh, there's a little mirror on the ceiling. Uh, of course, this is just for decoration, right? Just strictly oh, decoration. The name that really sprang to mind for me was George Best. Like, I think you're kind exactly. of, you know, like, and not necessarily for his style on the pitch, although he was an incredible quarterback, but he was the guy, you know, the first kind of professional sportsman in America who had kind of the long hair, the sideburns, the flares. And they know. were almost the same time. I mean, you can't help but draw parallels with George Best, when he's, even even looks-wise. The thick black hair, the big sideburns, the, the suntan. You know, draped in girls, drinking champagne, and thinking, oh, come on. <laughs> he, he, they really are two peas in a pod, those two. Yeah. And, and, and I bet he's one of my favourite footballers ever. And I, and I think Joe Namath, I don't think he's a great quarterback. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that if you look at the stats. But that's why I, I don't trust stats. Because he, he was more than the stats. Like He would make his team win the games that counted, although his individual statistics and his win-loss record weren't particularly impressive. It's worth going back on that to, to where it started because, um, like, he was a kind of, um, like, like, not a country bumpkin, but he was from a small, small town called Beaver Falls in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And, um, you know, one kind of your classic kind of good at football, good at basketball, good at baseball was kind of like a local hero. Mm. I mean, it's very funny in these documentaries. All of like his, it's like high school football, baseball team, basketball team, his team photos. Everyone's there lined up for the team photo and he's wearing sunglasses in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, absolute. From I a know. very early age, he was that guy. <laughs> like, well, because oh. you can't bullshit that stuff, can you? No. You know, you're either a bit different um, yeah. or you're not a bit different. And, and there's no point trying to be somebody else. But... That little town he's from, like I've played rugby in small town Pennsylvania, and it is like 
it's hunting, fishing, shooting. Um, I mean, it's really rural. You, th- you think of Pittsburgh as being this big steel town, which it is and it was and coal and whatever. But small town Pennsylvania is out in the woods, you know. Yeah. So I think his grandparents were Hungarian, emigrated out on the, the turn of the last century and then were coal miners and just worked hard. And yeah, he so he grew up in yeah. this coal mining village. That's it, yeah. His father's in the steel mill. Yeah. Kind of proper... Uh, working class upbringing and he's you know he's this small town kid who's just exceptional at sport and then off he goes what what i'm getting to basically is when he's when he goes off to college and he's the college quarterback he has a horrific knee injury yeah and i think that's when you said like you know he's not necessarily a great the, the greatest quarterback his his college coach says one of the greatest tragedies about Joe Namath is that no one really got to see a healthy Joe Namath play football. And well, like, his college coach, mate, was probably the most decorated, celebrated college coach ever, Paul Bear Bryant at Alabama. Now, I don't know much about college football. I'm much more of an NFL man. But, but if you've even got a passing knowledge of college football, yeah. Bear Bryant almost transcends the game. And he said he was the greatest athlete, greatest football player, that he ever worked with. Well, that is if Bear Bryant's saying that. Yeah. I mean that that create that that injury must have been completely game changing for him. That's it. They well they, they said he's like they said he was never the same athlete again, never the same player again, and yet mm. he still went on to play over ten seasons in the in the pros. And well, I'll tell you what's crazy ball. that would never happen now is he was recruited by Maryland to go to Maryland University. Yeah. Uh, and he'd, he'd agreed terms, and over there, like when you have like a, a statement of intent, means you, you you agree to go to a college, not not a contract. They can't do it, but it's as good as. But then he didn't get high enough grades at high school, so they withdrew their offer. So Alabama stepped in, but that were, you imagine now being one of the 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 best high school football players in the country, and, and then the university saying you haven't got enough, you, your, your grades aren't good enough. It just yeah. wouldn't happen. No, it really wouldn't, would it? It wouldn't happen. And they said he didn't get his grades because he was too busy kind of out with his mates. He was out drinking, chasing oh. girls. So even from an early age, he was kind of that. The, the kind of words, like you said, like they they always described him as kind of like a character, a rascal, you know, yeah. a bit of a one. I mean, like he comes across as a really good bloke who really enjoyed that lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? When you watch America's Game, which I, I think it's the... Generally, the best documentary series around for if you if you love sport of any kind, but certainly if you love American football. Doesn't he still? I mean, they're probably ten years old now. That episode that they they update him every year, but he would have been in his late sixties then. He's seventy seven now, Joe. But what a joy! What a what a zest for life still. That big oh. smile. He smiles every take. He just loves it. You can just tell. He would have loved playing the game and loved everything about it and loves it now. He's just got that charm. I mean, like, yeah, there's a great bit about him loving the game where he has his, his knee looked at and the surgeon says, look, you've got four years, tops. Mm. And his reaction to that is, oh, brilliant. I get to play yeah. four years for, for professional football. Amazing. He also said to the Jets, but if you sign me, I'll win the World Championship in four years. And that's what he did. It was almost four years to the day that they won the Super Bowl. That's amazing, isn't it? Your future coach and the owner, Mr. Werblin, have uh, referred to you as the greatest football player in college this year. Uh, you haven't even put on a Jet uniform yet. Uh, you already feel a little bit of pressure? Well, uh, pressure just makes it go all the more. Uh-huh. I kind of like pressure a little bit. Mr. Werblin, you're the man that's given all this money. We don't know the exact figures, but... Uh, well, you're not going to know it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, how, 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 what kind of an estimate? Or what uh, can you tell us about it? Well, Bob, all I can say is that we think it's, it's a lot of money, but it's commensurate with uh, his ability. He goes from college, and there's a bidding war. Was he the most expensive, I think? Like, like from, you know, yes. like... His fee was insane, and it's because at the time there was the NFL and then the mm. AFL, right? Yeah. You'll know more about this than me, but like the NFL was very much established, and the AFL was kind of fledgling and trying to compete with the NFL. And I think yeah. part of the desire to bring Joe Namath to the AFL was to say, look, we can compete with the NFL. So the Jets kind of went out of their way to get Joe Namath. The NFL has been going since 1920, basically. But every sort of 10 years, a rival league would spring up and compete for dollars, being America, and players. And those either turn to nothing or they end up getting absorbed by the NFL. So you had the AAFC, you had, you had, um, you had the AFL in the 60s, 
most famously. So the AFL teams almost team for team became the AFC. Yeah. So when they decide there was this huge bid in war, and so the two commissions got together and said, "Listen, we're going to bankrupt each other. Let's agree that we, we we'll play separate leagues, but at the end of each season, our champions will play each other in the championship game, and then after three years of that, the the leagues will join, and then we'll have a joint champion." So that's so what happened. So and then the Super Bowl was born. Yeah, and it wasn't called that at first. But um, so the Packers win the first one, the Packers win the second one, and everyone's thinking, yeah, the NFL is so much better than the AFL. And the third one rolls around. They talk about that Colts team with with Johnny Unitas and well, he was injured, but Earl Morrell. They were saying at the time this could be the greatest team ever. They, I think they were they were averaging they were beating teams by an average of seventeen points. They had probably the best offense, the best defense in the NFL. There wasn't a single bookie that put them less than 17-point favourites for the, for the Super Bowl three. Miami just had the greatest three days in rental car history it's ever had. The influx of visitors from New York, Baltimore, and, of course, the fans of this area, always outstanding pro football fans. Now time to meet the members of the New York Jets, the champions of the American Football League. For the New York Jets, Joe Namath himself. Controversial, exciting, but above all, a most talented ball player, a great passer, on whose right arm will be riding the hopes not only of the New York Jets today, but as well the hopes of the entire AFL. And the man who put it all together, head coach of the New York Jets, Weeb Eubank. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was really interesting for me. You talk about Johnny United. So Johnny United was the quarterback of the Baltimore Colts, and he yeah. was the best quarterback in the game. And mm. you look at him as like the kind of model of what a pro footballer looked like. And he yeah. was kind of, you know, clean cut, kind of, you know, your smart professional, yeah. no nonsense, did the job. Kind of what people thought. That's what a professional footballer is. Yeah. And then Joe Namath came along, and you know, became Broadway Joe. So like from the get go. Huge signing on fee, big Lincoln car, photo shoots, you know, showbiz. Yeah. And and that kind of changed the face of football. And like they were saying, there's something perfect about him being in New York as well, isn't there? Like, you know, like <laughs> like th- that kind of to be in New York at the end of the 60s, be playing in Shea Stadium. Like it is so kind of like, it well, feels they, so rock and roll. They talk about it being, it'll make or break you playing in New York. It's got the harshest press in, in the country. It's it's a twenty four hour a day media city. You know, if you're big in New York, you're massive, but they will be all over you, and a lot of players can't handle that. It's like almost like a curse playing in New York, especially you play you you play quarterback for New York. That is such a high pressure position in sports to be, and you can either fold when that happens, or you can absolutely embrace it, which is exactly what Joe Namath does. Producer Simon interviewed him at an NFL bash a couple of years ago which I'm incredibly jealous of again, right? But he talked to him about his, you know, how would he get on basically in modern day football? And I'll paraphrase what he said to Simon, but it was something along the lines of, um, 
Uh, you know, I, I don't think uh, I would have been able to handle it with the lifestyle that I led at the time. You know, I just thought, you imagine, like someone with a, with a, with a camera phone there. There is no way on God's earth he could get away with today what he was doing in, in, in the late 60s in New York. It was a different time. It oh, was, man. dare we say a it, better time. a better time. A better time, Tom. <laughs> Because, like, a big part, that's what they said, is, like, for the first time, like, women started going to the game. You know, like, yeah. they said, like, it became, like, mothers and, you know, daughters would go. Then you'd go as a family because they wanted to see Joe Namath. He was one of those yeah. people. And there's, there's only, you know, there aren't many of them. But, you know, you, people put him in the same bracket as, like, Muhammad Ali. Like we said, George Best. Obviously, like, more modern examples. You think of, like, David Beckham. Yeah. But it's, like, a household name as yeah. well as being a sports person. And that's who Joe Namath was. And I think the ones who really make it, the Pel, you know, the Pelés and the... You, you've got to talk the talk. And then if you walk the walk as well, well you just elevate you, isn't it? And, and he... The fact is... I mean, in that Super Bowl, he famously guaranteed that the Jets would win, which everyone thought was a bit of a joke at the time, and they did. He doesn't even predict it. He said, I guarantee a Jet victory. I didn't realize I had even said it, first of all. You know, there was a wise guy in the back of the room that started this business, and I just told him what I felt. You know, we're going to win the game, I guarantee you. One guy picked up on it, I believe, and that was Edwin Pope. From the Miami Herald. And I didn't know about it till the next day when we, Coach Eubanks, said, we got to have a meeting. <laughs> so there's something about saying you're going to do something and not just being a big mouth. Anyone can be a big mouth. You can say what you like. You've then got to get out there and do it. And he did it. And I mean, yeah, that, that, like, well, that's, that is what I, I love about him. Is mm. it, There are so many things that you kind of think should put you off him. Like they were saying that when the team would travel to an away game the team would get off the plane and there'd be a limo waiting for Joe with two women two beautiful women Awful. and his agent who'd set it up he'd get into the limo with these two beautiful women <laughs> to travel to the game and the rest of the team would get on the bus and have to travel to the game and you kind of think like that's insane and like all of his teammates knew there's one rule for Joe there's one rule for us and and like obviously that sounds awful but what backed it up was he would he would say to them like you know I will I will prove to you on the field that that's okay and like he would he'd put his body on the line he would kind oh of get God. battered he, he, he you know this was a tough guy who would fight and when he first joined the team and everyone was like he said when they first started in training camp you know he was getting battered by his own you know the, the defense they were just attacking him and beating him because they were you know they didn't like this flashy guy who'd come in and he said look you know if you've got a problem with me I'll fight you I'll fight you on the field I'll fight you off the field let's let's sort this out and he kind of had to earn their respect by doing it you know the hard well, way they have Jerry Philbin who's their defensive end in the America's game thing and I, th I don't think Philbin liked him at first a lot of players <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah, like you, him you can tell can't you there's still you that can edge absolutely tell <laughs> But even he's got to say, and they all, everyone who played with him or against him, you couldn't deny how tough the man was. You couldn't deny his, his attitude. You couldn't, for one second, question his attitude. And you watch some of those hits. I mean, and people who watch the NFL now or have watched the last NFL in the last sort of 10 years, um, welcome, number one. But number two, go on YouTube and look at some games from the 70s and the 60s and the 80s and see how different the game was. Yeah. Uh, once you know a little bit about the game, at first it looks the same, but then actually watch it. Watch the hits on the quarterback. Watch the way the, the receivers get smashed all over the place. Watch the stuff they get away with now that you couldn't do, right? You just couldn't do it. I think the it, in the days when Namath played, you had three steps after he'd thrown the ball to hit the quarterback. Because right? that was your momentum. You've got, you got no steps now. You can't go below the knees in a quarterback now. You can't go above the shoulders. Yeah. In those days, it, it was headshots, he was trying to break your legs, and it was happening three, yeah. two or three seconds after you passed the ball. <laughs> yeah, legally, roughing the passer really meant roughing the passer. Like there's, there's some rough, roughing the passer calls these days that just do not they do not count as roughing the passer. And I'm not saying it's not. It's obviously <laughs> an extremely tough game now, and the the players are bigger and stronger than they were. But you look at someone like Nick, weirdly, and it's, he's another Pennsylvania story. But I look at someone like Roethlisberger, yeah, and he strikes me as the same sort of player. You got to hit him with a flicking snooker table, and put him on the floor. Like he, he's not going down. Yeah. And you watch some of those Namath runs, and this before the quarterback could slide and be, you know, just going into people head first into linebackers. Yeah. 
And with with knackered knees, and they, and they said he would drain his knees on a Thursday. Oh yeah, he get his knees drained every Thursday, so for a day he basically couldn't walk because there was no fluid in his knees, so he couldn't walk until like Friday afternoon, and then if you walk through on Saturday, play the game on a Sunday. Yeah. So there's no doubt that the blow the blow was teak tough as well. I mean, it was ridiculous. Absolutely, and and like you know what what goes with that is kind of like he'd be. He says part of the reason he drank so much is because of managing the pain, because he said like that I was bet. the only way he could do it, was drink through it. He did have that kind of, he could back it up on the field of play, because like all the talk of like, they said he'd turn up stinking of booze, mm. you know, th- th- there's, a, there's a great, um, there's a great bit I- I- in the documentary I watched it where a cop said it was the, it was the night before they played the Raiders. Um, God, those games. In the AFL game before, you know, before the Super Bowl, to see who'd be going to the Super Bowl. And he said it was six o'clock in the morning and I was I was logging onto my shift. I looked across the road and I saw Joe Namath coming out of a hotel with a model and a drink in his hand. It was the day, the day of the game. And he said, I went to the bookies and bet against the Jets. And then Joe Namath had this incredible game and they get to the Super Bowl. This commercial will prove to the women of America that beauty Miss Pantyhose can make any legs look like a million dollars. Now, I don't wear pantyhose, but if beauty Miss can make my legs look good, imagine what they'll do for yours. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, everything looks better through beauty Miss. Especially your legs. There's one shot of him on the sidelines where he's wearing what look to be pink corduroy flares and white leather boots. It's absolutely brilliant. Isn't I it? think you will do for me, mate, every day of the week. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. And there's another shot with a knee-length fur coat. Oh. He's so on the touchline wearing this knee-length fur coat. The NFL in the 80s became known as the no-fun league, right? Because they brought all these laws in to try and clean the game up and try and make it appeal to this sort of really... I don't know if they're trying to appeal like some sort of bland middle American family that doesn't actually exist. But they can't do that now. So, so they have to wear NFL-sanctioned and NFL-licensed kit on the sidelines. So he couldn't wear that now. He couldn't wear a white fur-length fur coat and shades and pink pink corduroy flares and white leather boots. And I think you can't tell me the game's better for that because no it way. isn't. No way. I know. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a great anecdote where Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones were in town. And oh, they, they imagine. Had, Shut up. They had a table full of women around them, and Joe Namath's entourage was leaving, and Joe Namath said, girls, do you want to come with us? And they upped and left. <laughs> Just left the Rolling Stones <laughs> because Joe Namath was asking them to go with them. And it's kind of like, that is the guy he was. And he had his own nightclub. He had a nightclub yeah. in New York called Bachelor 3. Which the league said, Pete Rozelle said, You've got to, you can't have that. This will make the league look bad. So then he said, okay, I'll retire then. So the league backtracked and said, okay, you can keep it. Yeah. yeah he, yeah. he, he quit in tears, didn't he? He, 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 had, he had to weigh up what he wanted to do off the he field. He quit about three times. To do on the field. <laughs> Every time somebody didn't like it, I'm, I'm retiring. Yeah. He's this larger in life character, which he certainly was. But in 1967, I'll just read his Wikipedia entry. He became the first professional quarterback to pass for 4,000 yards in a season. He threw for 4,007 yards in a 14-game season. Wasn't broken until it was broken by Dan Fouts. In 1979, so 12 years later, in a 16-game season. So it took 12 years and two extra games. And that, that, that team that Dan Fouts quarterback was called Air Coriel, coached by Don Coriel. They passed all the time, right? They were known for their passing game. But Namath was doing that in 67. He had an incredible arm, didn't he? There's a great quote from one of his offensive coaches that says, uh, he's one of the only quarterbacks I've ever worked with where you don't have to watch to see if he's throwing the ball because you can hear it. He said, "There's a, there's a oh, sound." That, he said, "There's this." He said, "Like there's this sound when he lets go because his release was so fast and so hard." And there's, a, there's another great thing where the, the wide receivers are saying that they, they had bruises all over their body. Yeah, like Don Maynard, who was kind of his, 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 go, his go-to receiver. Yeah, we should talk about Don Maynard because he's a great character. But he said he has bruises all over his body from training because there's the velocity that the ball would hit him. On, on Namath's release was just like so fast that it would just bruise his When body. you think about it, you want that ball in the air for as short of time as is possible to stop interceptions and everything else, right? So, and he reminds me a lot, not just of George Best, but what I, what I, I'm a huge Brett Favre fan as well, but the same sort of thing, a ro- absolute rocket arm on him, which yeah. Brett Favre also had. But he played the game like, well, I, 
I should flip it around and say Brett Favre played the game like Namath because Namath ended up his career with more interceptions than touchdowns. Well, he yeah. was like the, the archetypal gunslinger. He was, yeah. He was the original gunslinger, really. He'd broken the record for the yards thrown in the, in 67. He'd also led the league in interceptions. And he had this playable lifestyle. In 1968, they decided to make him team captain because they wanted to bring more responsibility to him. He became captain, and after a slightly shaky start throwing interceptions, he... He adjusted the game, and it was like that year when the Jets won the Super Bowl, it was watching a man not realise that this wasn't about him. And although he was the superstar quarterback, the team was more important. So he kind of brought, you know, they they adopted the running game a lot more. Uh, He had that incredible running back, Snell, was it? Snell. When they won the Super Bowl, the entire fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, he didn't throw one pass no, because no. he they knew they had the lead. What I what I really liked about watching America's game is like like what won the New York Jets the Super Bowl was Joe Namath outthought you know he out he outthought the Baltimore Colts defense. Oh, yeah. He he read the defense. He knew exactly what they were going to do, and he called the game and and outthought. And we're talking about like you know, like you said earlier, like uh, it's quite exciting for me to realize that the Baltimore Colts were being managed by. Don Shula was their head coach, who yeah. we, you know, listeners will know from the Dolphins episode. Mm. I, uh, you know, like he's the coach that coached the Dolphins their perfect season. Earl Morrill was the quarterback who yeah, yeah. he called upon for that game. Um, you know, and Johnny Unitas, who who was the, like we've talked about recently, like the great the great quarterback of the time. So like Joe Namath kind of outthought that team at the end of it when they'd won the Super Bowl, and they went to Joe Namath and they said, "How does it feel to be king of the hill?" And he said, "You know, I'm not king of the hill. The team is. You know, we are. And there is something the there is something really great about that. Like this superstar playboy, but actually it was because he, you know, he became a team leader and it was a team effort that got them the Super Bowl." Well, even that captaincy bit, I love that bit when Jerry Philbin's talking about it and said he was, he was this unique character, Namath, but it was he was got to a stage where his playboy lifestyle was affecting the team. So the, the, the coach says to Philbin, you've got to, the players have got to elect him team captain and give him some responsibility and just trying to rein him in a little bit. So they did that. And Philbin says, Joe thinks it's because he was a great leader. It was the opposite of that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Joe Namath to this day still thinks it was because he was, you know, and Philbin says Joe still thinks it's because he was a great leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Joe's saying, oh, this is, that was my proudest thing, even prouder than the Super Bowl was when the team made me their team captain. They said, yeah, because, because you're such a lunatic. We hope. <laughs> and it worked. But he still did the limos and the drinking and the, and, the, and the women and everything else. When push came to shove, he realised it was about the team then. Yeah, that's so, it. So, yeah, like you said, that fourth quarter when he doesn't throw a single pass. And also, I love the the chess side of football. I love the I love the strategy and the planning. And they say Maynard, him to Maynard was the was the tandem all season and had been for a couple of years. But he's got this injury he's carrying, and there's a rumor that he's injured. It's not like today when you got to release injury reports. But there was this rumor that Maynard had an injury, so they said they just sent him deep. We Bubank sent him deep first play, and Lamer throws his bomb at him, and it doesn't doesn't connect. It then dispels that the the defense and I think oh hang on a minute there's nothing wrong with Maynard yeah so they then double team Maynard all game and he doesn't he doesn't get a single pass doesn't make a reception but just the 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 intelligence of that you just put that into their brain yeah and they're thinking oh hang on a minute there's nothing wrong with Don Maynard we got a double team him okay you do that then and I'll throw it to everybody else that's great absolutely brilliant there's something so kind of iconic about that era of football. Oh, Christ, the, just a bit. The Joe Namath kind of, the jersey, that number 12 jersey, that Jets jersey, that is one of the most beautiful shirts, I think. Why, in, in I, do you know what, Tom? I was thinking, the exa- and the helmet, I was thinking, why on earth don't the Jets wear that uniform now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's a team that's in fairly dire straits at the moment, right? New York. And has, and, and has struggled with an identity for a long time. Get that back on. Get the white and green on with yeah. that the old Jets helmet and the grey face. Just just embrace that. Oh man, what Absolutely. a flip! Yes, it's great look. And just quickly go back to speaking about jerseys. And you love your narratives. So there, that game in Super Bowl three when United was injured and comes in, I think in the, in the fourth quarter. Yeah. But nameless absolute idol growing up was Johnny United. He wore nineteen all the way through high school. It was his it was his favourite player. He's on. 
the pitch then he sees United and he thinks I've made it you know, I'm, I'm playing against Johnny United it's great it's oh great. my god what a flipping it's absolutely great I think we should do an, a podcast on the World Football League maybe yeah okay because it was a really interesting concept that never really took off and I, I mentioned that I think we mentioned Larry Zonker and Jim Kick uh, both went there so it says here um, the Chicago Wins not, not a great name for a team right <laughs> no, I understand why I understand why but it's not a great name the Chicago Wins of the World Football League famously made a large overture to Namath prior to the 75 season they designed the uniforms identically to the Jets, dropping the red and going with just green and white to allow Namath to continue to market his 12 jersey in Jets colours. They then offered, now this is 1975, they then offered Namath a contract worth $600,000 a year for three years, a $2 million annuity, which was $100,000 a year for 20 years, a $500,000 signing bonus, and, and terms for him to own a team, an, a WFL franchise in New York, right? He turned that down because he wanted all that Plus fifteen percent of the league's television revenue, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and they turned it down. But they said they should have gone for it because the, the league folded shortly afterwards, where because their big TV contract was dependent on Joe Namath playing for uh, Chicago. Didn't happen. There you go. You imagine that. I'm a turning Jesus Christ. He was. I mean, like he he was really aware of his own worth, wasn't he? he after he won he the was, Super he was Bowl, he was the Peter Kay of football. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the Georgie Best and the Peter K. <laughs> I want all that and the car park take-ins and the beer take-ins. What? And <laughs> like, it, it's worth checking out some of the adverts he did as well because he was he was kind of Mister Advert. He was like the first professional footballer to really embrace that side of things. He did one where he famously kind of he had incredible legs, didn't he? That was one of the things they always said about. Like loads of people say about <laughs> incredible legs. He does this advert for ladies' pantyhose for tights, and it kind of starts. And it pans all the way up these legs, wearing these kind of luminous tights that he gets to the top, and it's Joe Namath. And then he realises Joe Namath. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a sobering watch. <laughs> and, um, he also did a shaving cream commercial for Noxzema shaving cream. Where he's, but he's getting shaved by a, a then-unknown Farrah Fawcett. I'm so excited. I'm going to get cream. Closer you shave, the more you need creamy, soothing, medicated Noxema. Let Noxema cool your face. Hey, 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 he had a Hollywood career as well, didn't he? He was in, he was in movies. He was in loads. Yeah. Loads of TV series, loads of Hollywood stuff. Absolutely. He had a chat show. And then once he retired, he actually became a... He, he genuinely ended up performing on Broadway. So Broadway Joe oh, no, that's great. was in a Broadway show. He's just such, such, a, such a brilliant personality. Well, there's a bit right at the beginning. And he talks about when he got to New York and uh, a bloke called Sonny Werblin was the, was the owner of the, of the Jets. And he was, he was at some party with Sonny Werblin and his wife. And they've been saying some bad things about the Jets team, and he was getting angry about it. Sonny Werblin's, he, he just calls him Mrs. Werblin, says to him, um, Joseph, it's show business. He says, it's not show business, it's football. And she goes, Joey, it's show business. And he said that always stuck with him, that, you know, hey, this is the show, I'm in a show. I'm, I'm the star of the bloody of the New York Jets show in, in, the, in the AFL, in the NFL, as it became. But God, that, that time, man. And people seemed... A lot of places that were a lot, a lot less media savvy. There's bits when you saw that bit with they're interviewing Jerry Philbin and Joe Namath on some black and white like fan, some New York uh, Jets uh, TV show. And Philbin looks really uncomfortable. He's got like a suit on. He doesn't really want to be there. And they, they give him like a watch each, don't they? Yeah. Here are the days. Have a watch. Well played this season. But he, but he was just at home with it. Like the, the camera loved him. He was great on screen. He was always great for a quote. He just had the confidence to back it up, didn't he? There's a guy who said, like, when he first signed, you know, they watch pressure get to people. And they said, like, with Joe, he just absorbed that pressure and it made him stronger. And they said at the press conference, but what if you don't make it? You know, you're worth, you know, we've given you 400,000. What if you don't make it? And he just looked at them and gave him a little wink and said, I'll make it. <laughs> I just think, oh, yes, Broadway Joe. And he, he talks about growing up in, because he was from a really working class area being the only white starter on his basketball team. You know, all his teammates were black and it was it was the middle of the civil rights and 
New York was was uh, obviously a big center of, that, of that, that movement as well. But then he went to college in the Deep South in Alabama, and that was so he was a real product of those times as well. Just a just a life. But then, and you wonder why things happen for a reason. I'm not particularly a fatalist, but you think of that knee injury and what he might have accomplished without the knee injury. Yeah. The flip side of that was that knee injury was the thing that stopped him getting drafted to go to Vietnam. Incredible. So what would have happened if he hadn't had the knee injury? But he'd gone to Vietnam. You know what I mean? Bloody hell! This is like um, this is like Forrest Gump. It's kind of like you know, I think the, the Joe Namath story encompasses kind of it's a it's a it's a very good microcosm of America at that time. It is, mate. It's a really, slice really of nineteen sixties America. It really is, and like part of that, you know, like you think about the visuals of like American football being played on baseball pitches. You know, you kind of see like all that mud. Yeah, and yeah. The showbiz, the fur coats, the kind of. You know, the nightclubs. I'm crying again now. It, it, it's great. <laughs> I'll finish by saying, like, there's that, there's that, my favourite interview with him is when he's at the pool table and they say, you know, people criticise you about your lifestyle and stuff. And he says, the way I look at it, you know, to not enjoy my lifestyle, my bachelor lifestyle, well, that would be un-American, man. <laughs> that would be un-American. <laughs> oh, Broadway Joe. Oh, we love you, Broadway Joe. We love you. Changed the game, mate. He changed the game in yeah. in in three hours. There was a thing. Norm Van Brocklin, who was a probably one of the players in the NFL in the f- late forties, through the fifties, and then ended up coaching the NFL as well. They asked Brocklin Super Bowl week, and it's all media Super Bowl week. They asked him um, what he thought about Joe Namath as a quarterback because he'd come up with the the prediction and stuff, you know. Yeah. And Norm Van Brocklin said, um, "Ask me about Joe Namath on Sunday night." when he's played his first professional football game. <laughs> As if just a write off the AFL, right? And then to do that and just to, oh, great. And I've genuinely mate, been looking, I'm not just saying this, because you know that I like to dress flamboyantly for gigs and I like to, yeah. I, I like a paisley, I like a flare, I like a nice leather jacket, yeah, I, like a, I like a Cuban heel. I have been looking, I won't wear real fur because there's something, I draw the line somewhere. But I have been looking for a, for a size XL, full length fun fur. Because I think that would be that's great. That's my new look. That's my new look for gigs. I'm gonna wear. I'm gonna wear. I'm gonna park in the multi-story next to Birmingham Glee Club and just walk to the gig in a full-length fur coat. <laughs> St Mary Street, boy. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Off Broadway, Mike. Off Broadway, Mike. <laughs> Fringe, Tom. <laughs> 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 it seems almost un-American to me for a bachelor not to, marry, you know, go around uh, having a drink with a lady now and then. And why all of a sudden that's about to become an evil in me, uh, I don't know. But some people don't like it. Well, you can't please any everybody. Uh, I'm just uh, <laughs> trying to get along, you know, just <laughs> just trying to get by. Look at that shot. 